Cougs house. All right. The Houston Cougars are in the new look Big 12. Things are officially set for now at 16 teams. Things are growing. Business is booming. But does realignment actually work for football programs? You are locked on Cougs, your daily podcast on the Houston Cougars, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Cougs, the daily podcast about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Angel, to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hit against that by, please be sure to subscribe down below. That way we get the latest on the Cougs in your newsfeed each and every day. We appreciate you making Locked On Cougs your first listen of the day. And welcome back to the YouTube channel. Remember, we're doing a giveaway every 250 subscribers, and it is so good to see you again. So hit that subscribe button because you're here every day anyway. Make sure you hit the subscribe button at the next 250 giveaway. We're giving away a hat. We also have been working with the folks at SAC Ave, which you can see anyway, uh, about giving away a shirt. Uh, more details on that to come. And remember, the big, big giveaway right now is that we get to 2,000 subscribers before the TCU game as the first Big 12 game for the Houston Cougars. We'll give away a Big 12, it's got a little logo on the side, the Big 12 Houston Cougar football jersey. Now, it's the replica, but it's got the Big 12, big 12 logo on it. It's really cool. Uh, so, a couple things to go through here. One, we're going to do a couple segments on the, after all this realignment talk, does conference realignment work for football programs? Um, schools that could break that mold and maybe make it work for them. Hint, Houston is one of them. And then last, we're going to wrap up with some college hoops because while I'd like to blame it on my eight-week-old waking me up at four o'clock this morning, I also was eager to wake up and watch some uh, at four o'clock this morning. That's time I'm recording this. If you can't tell, I insulted a whole lot, but I was eager to get up and watch some Houston Cougar basketball at 4 a.m. in Australia. So let's jump on in um, at the top because the conference realignment talk is dominating all of college sports right now. We did a whole episode on it yesterday, breaking down why um, people are been out of shape for the wrong reasons. Go check that out. I maintain my take. I stick by my take on that. I'm sure it'll come up again throughout the next 18 months, but uh, that's yesterday's episode. Today, it's worth looking at, does this benefit the programs that move? And we're going to be talking about football because football obviously steers all these things. That's where the money is. That's where the revenue is. But you could argue that there's some schools that it helps their volleyball or helps their softball or helps their baseball or whatever, but it doesn't help their football. And that's fine. Um, but the question posed is, you know, after the last 10 days, is it worth asking if this actually helps football programs? Because, you know, as Texas and Oklahoma go to the SEC or USC and UCLA go to the uh, Big Ten. That was announced a year ago. All of that, I guess, was announced in the summer of 22. Now you've got Oregon and Washington going to the Big Ten. You have Houston and a handful coming to the Big 12. And in the last 10 days, we've added a handful of Pac-12 schools to that list. But historically, if we look at this, does moving around conferences like this in the 21st century really help? And I think we got to put that qualifier on it because obviously – as a school left out of the Southwest Conference fallout into the Big 12 in the 90s, the money that there was in, in the Big 12 that was not available to the rest of the left behind from the Southwest Conference, obviously that helped a lot, right? So I'm not going to address things pre-2000 because honestly, the money was different pre-2000. The money was different in the 90s and wasn't the 80s and so on, right? So I guess that's fair. But looking at this now, we look at like the last 15 years, when you look at a school like Texas A&M, going to the SEC uh, about a dozen years ago, did they get better? Did it help their football program? 
Did Missouri? Did Colorado when they went to the Pac-12? Did Maryland when they went to the Big Ten? Rutgers, Louisville going to the SEC, to the ACC. Each of those pro- programs, I think you can demonstrably say, did not get better. And if anything, they might have gotten from a perception standpoint worse. Here's the kicker: only one major university that I can think of that's gone, that's made the transition to a new conference, has already played in their new conference in the last 15 years, actually would have title or winning their conference aspirations. And I think that that's a key thing to keep in mind here. Yes, I know Colorado won a national title a long time ago, won the Big 12, and like, I forget it was 99 or 2000, then I should have written that down, but you like a long time ago feeling, right? But realistically, Texas A&M going to the SEC had nothing to do with winning the conference or winning a national championship. or what. They'll tell you it did. And frankly, weirdly in the COVID year, they were kind of on the outside looking in, kind of close. Um, but generally, this is not about that. A lot of these schools, A&M, Missouri, Colorado, Maryland, Rutgers, Louisville, each make this transition and, and do this because they're not going to win a national championship. They're not going to win their conference. And until very recently, the kind of the argument for Oklahoma was they can go and feed and win the Big 12 every year. That gets in the college football playoff, right? And so this idea that the schools are making this decision to help their football programs seems like a farce because I'll give you a secret. A&M realized that there is a lot more money in coming in fourth place in the SEC than there is in coming in fourth place in the in the Big 12. That was the decision, right? That's that's what it very clearly came down to. When you look at it, they had one 10-win season in their 12 years in the SEC. That was with Kevin Sumlin in their first year in the SEC with a roster that was by and large Big 12. Missouri, or Big 12 players, Missouri in a similar fashion had two 10-win seasons in their second and third years in the conference and haven't been any good since, right? A&M at least had an eight-win season here and that kind of stuff. Um, for what it's worth, for a long time, I've held that to be like a comparison between conferences. Like those rosters were by and large Big 12 rosters, and they did just fine in the SEC, right? They did better in the SEC, frankly, than they did with SEC rosters. However, when you start looking at things like that, like Missouri was never going to win the Big 12. A&M was never going to win the Big 12. And I guess the Big East thing kind of throws a wrench in the Louisville argument, but like they weren't post Lamar Jackson going to run away with the American or anything like that. But being a good competitive team in a big dollar conference changes things. It changes things a lot. And I think Colorado made a similar kind of case when they jumped ship from the big 12 to the PAC 12, they weren't ever going to win either one of those conferences. Uh, and frankly, they got a lot worse <laughs> uh, over their time in the PAC 12 on a national scale. Hiring Dion may change things in the near future. But they were never going to win that conference. They were going to win the Big 12 in a post-2003 world, right? However, there was more money for them and come as a football program and being third, fourth, fifth, et cetera, in the bigger name conference or in the conference at the time had more money. And that continues to be the case here. The one thing that bucks this trend would be Nebraska. Now, Nebraska in their first... Uh, sorry, Nebraska in the last two seasons in the Big 12 went 10 and four. And I think it's worth pointing out they might have had as I mean, they were a miss or they, uh, Texas made a field goal to beat them in the Big 12 championship game. Um, like, like they, they were competitive and could have won the conference. And you could argue they went to the Big 10 with the understanding that they'd be competitive to win that one. And they did go 10 and four in their second year and have kind of fallen off the cliff since then. So it's not that it. <laughs> It did not go well for them either. I don't mean to say that it did, 
But I could understand you said, but Parker, they definitely thought they could win the Big Ten when they left. Um, they had, you know, the Nebraska Cornhuskers the late 90s, early 2000s were something to behold. And that's all true. But truthfully, since 2002, they'd only had two 10-win seasons, and those were the last two seasons in the Big 12, right? And so there's that window in between that I can understand also if you're in the Nebraska AD and the Nebraska Board of Regents or what have you, that if we're sitting here looking back and forth, if we're going to come in third, fourth, fifth in the Big 12, we could go come third, fourth, fifth in the Big 10. The teams are fairly similar outside of that, right? And make a whole lot more money. Now, Nebraska, obviously, then in 2008 and 2009, made runs at winning the Big 12 and throws things off a little bit. And they are an outlier in that, too. But by and large, when you look at these teams that have shifted conferences, it has not led to success on the football field. And I don't think that that's an accident. I just don't think it's also the goal. I don't think that's the reason AM went to the SEC was to do well there. It was because doing the just as well there meant a lot more money, right? They weren't going to win the Big 12. They weren't going to beat Texas or Oklahoma. But they could go to the SEC and do well, right? Um that's from big conference, big conference. Obviously, TCU coming to the Big 12 was a whole different deal. Utah coming to the Pac-12 was a whole different deal. The four schools that are entering from the American Athletic Conference and Independence into the Big 12 next season are a whole different deal. And that's why I want to talk some about them being a little bit different and potentially breaking the mold, hence Houston Cougars will, in the second segment. But first, let's talk some about LinkedIn Jobs because... All these adding of new conferences can feel like you're adding new people to your workforce. I mean, if you look at the Big 12 as a company, we just added in the next two years eight major employees with great resumes because these days every new potential hire can feel like a high-stakes wager for your small business. You want to be sure that 100% sure that you have the right qualified candidates available. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the right people for your team faster and for free. It's why you want to look up teams like Houston. It's why you look up people like... Colorado and Dion and pull those kinds of people into your team. It makes a difference. LinkedIn jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post job for free at LinkedIn.com slash locked on college. That's LinkedIn.com slash locked on college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. All right. So I hope I've set the stage, or at least you're arguing in the comments below that you disagree with my stance on. Do teams switch conferences from big conference to big conference, typically with the idea of winning a national championship or winning that conference or whatever? I don't think that's the case. But for these four programs, the Central Florida, Cincinnati, BYU, and obviously Houston, I do think that's the case. And here's why. Um, First of all, each of them has a different set of circumstances. They're not just moving into a new conference that was like a little bit more money. They moved to conference that was a lot more money like a lot a lot more money so it's it's moving into the big dog football it's also programs that have demonstrated success throughout the last decade and that frankly have plenty of reason to become a dominant team in that conference now i'm gonna hit houston the deepest and then quickly run through some other ones i think uh could impact could have an impact of that magnitude in the big 12 and then i do want to touch on some non-big 12 ones because i do think as we're pointing out that this is more of a national phenomenon as we look at things um as where people are fitting in and not fitting in houston as moves into the big 12 
has the fertile recruiting ground in the Big 12. And when you look at where people find their kids, it's at Fort Bend Marshall. It's at North Shore, right? It's at Katy. They come through Houston and find the high school kids. It's the fertile recruiting ground, the greater Houston area. If you want to go from, you know, north of Beaumont, Port Arthur area, all the way down the coast, like, like you can go up and down and find recruits, recruits, recruits. And Houston is in the hotbed of that. And keep the Big 12 in Houston, right, with Texas leaving and and them having already been gone and LSU having never been there. But it not just keeps the Big 12 there. It is the Big 12 flagship there. I think that's a key, key piece of this. Houston also recruits other parts of Texas very, very well. Number of kids on the roster from the DFW area, West Texas, uh, South Central Texas, South Central meaning not quite the border, but still South Texas, right? Does a very good job recruiting all over the state. You add in Doug Belk and the job he does in the Southeast, northern part of Florida, southern part of Georgia. He does really well over there. So suddenly you're seeing like, oh, this is a team that with some Power 5 resources could really, really recruit very well. They have all the reason to, right? And we know they're increasing their facilities. They're putting the new money directly into facilities. Shovels are going in the ground this calendar year. Right. Like they're already spending the money that they have yet to make, which while I would not recommend that to you or I, it's not my money and it is my program. I'd love to see do well. (laughs) So that's a good thing for us. So upgrading the facilities and all of that jazz, the facilities are going to look phenomenal. They did a whole video presentation back when Houston jumped into the Big 12. Go check that on, on YouTube later. Um, they also, for its worth, in both football and basketball and a couple other things as well, but have coaches that have been successful in the Big 12 before. I mean, Dana Holgerson had – Dana Holgerson left West Virginia by choice. He he didn't want to be there anymore, but he was doing well there given all the things that are kind of in the way of West Virginia doing well. West Virginia also being a program that did well before coming to the Big 12 and then didn't, but I digress. They they didn't after Dana left, and that that's the problem. But um, So Dana – comes in with a Big 12 pedigree, Big 12 background, have been in the Big 12 before, both at West Virginia and then as assistant at Texas Tech and Oklahoma. Oklahoma State, right. Uh, in the basketball for what it's worth, you also add Kelvin Sampson, who's a Hall of Fame caliber coach, but has been at Oklahoma as well as Indiana and Washington State and the Power 5 level. So you have coaches that have done this before as well. Houston is this sleeping giant, and I think – whether it's for the first time I talked to Brian Smith on the podcast, recruiting analyst, national level recruiting analyst, or whomever, other people recognize it too. That's not just folks in Houston liking it, right? Um, people realize, and whether it's you know football coaches from the '90s or, or what have you, that like when Houston is on a level playing field, they are good. Then when you factor in the last decade without that level playing field, with less money and with smaller facilities and with a conference that doesn't attract the same kind of caliber talent, they did things like beat Oklahoma, right? They did things like beat Auburn, beat Florida State. They beat these Power 5 programs on neutral fields or on the road, right? So they've shown as a program they can do it before as well. All of those things, I think, tie into making Houston a fairly obvious choice for a team that could break that mold. They're also stepping up in conferences. It's not quite the same as going from the SEC to the Big 12 or Pac-12 or any from Power 5 to Power 5. But I do think that they're set and primed to break that mold. Similar vein, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Southern Ohio, Northern Kentucky is not quite the same recruiting ground that Houston area and Texas is. But it is good. Ohio has good high school football. It also was worth pointing out they were in the college football playoff in 2021. Sauce Gardner is a fairly fun to follow pro, and he wears their, their brand very proudly across his chest, right? Um, I like their defense line this year. Um, 
the Corleone guy, right? Like they've got talent and I could see them busting through. They were just won the American Athletic Conference. They beat Houston in the conference championship that year, right? So understandably, they're a team primed to use this Big 12 bump and be better, right? And have a chance to win the conference, much like Houston does. Whereas like other schools moving conferences maybe don't. Um, I think Central Florida has the same kind of aspirations. Obviously, you can go back to like 2017 and they think they won the national championship or whatever because they wanted to defeat it that year. But moreover, um, as a lone Big 12 school in Florida, they offer a different Power 5 experience than the rest of Florida for now. Uh, I know that the, who knows what happens in realignment in the future, but for now they do. And Florida is a very good high school football state. Obviously, you and I pick Texas as a state ahead of them, but theoretically, that's a good high school football state. I can see why Central Florida would think and legitimately be able to make a run at winning the Big 12 one day. I think Houston is closer um, than both of those schools. And I think for what it's worth, um, while Cincinnati maybe had the upper hand a couple of years ago, I love the amount of transfer portal movement that Houston has brought in. And I, I think they're going to shock some people this year with the way their season goes. Season previews to continue to come down the line. But those are three smaller schools. The bigger school, I think, coming out of the Pac-12 schools is Utah. Utah's won the Pac-12 two years in a row and may win a third in its final season in existence, or at least in any recognizable existence next season. Um, Utah has a great grasp on recruiting that uh, – mountain time zone for whatever that's worth. So you may not think a lot of Utah football, but when you can pick the top end kids out of all of that time zone, suddenly it's a little bit different deal and uh, a big, big brand in that sense. Um, they don't have the direct ties, ties to the church that BYU does, but as a state, Utah obviously does. And so that's familiar and friendly to some too. Um, I'm impressed by Utah's growth as a program since they went from the Mountain West Conference into the Pac-12 uh, about 12 years ago. I keep saying about 12. It's all, everyone's just six months here, six months there, but, you know. Um, and I feel like they could also reasonably convince themselves that they'll win the Big 12 as well. Frankly, if for nothing else, then they may not have wanted to come, right? Like, they felt fairly confident and comfortable being a team that could always make a run at winning the Pac-12. And that's a little bit different than like when teams just jump ship because like oh, we're never going to win this conversation. We might, might as well go make some more money, right? Now, in the non-Big 12 division of this conversation, teams that I think could make it run at winning their conference that maybe, you know, um, conceivably tell themselves that they're going to go and have a shot at it. I think Washington and the Big 10 has a shot. I know people are going to hate me on that one. But I like the Washington program a lot. As a PNW program, um, up there in that Northwest, you've got the recruiting base that is Seattle, but you also have all those small towns across Washington and Oregon. Oregon recruits a lot more nationally. Washington recruits a lot more regionally as far as football goes. And so I think that's worth paying attention to. Um, it, it also, for what it's worth, is a team that has you know done very well in the Power Five. They've you know knocked off Texas in a bowl game was it last year? Uh, maybe it was two years ago. And they, they do very well at inter uh, power five competition. No reason for me to believe that, that won't carry over into the big 10. And frankly, the thing that benefits them is we don't know how it'll be redistributed yet, but there's a very real possibility. They don't have to play both Michigan and Ohio state. You might end up getting away with only to play one of those in the conference title game. And that's a big, big win from a scheduling perspective. We know that the Big Ten, outside of those two programs in football, is not—it's not not everyone is Michigan, Ohio State, right? They're very much even keel after that. And so, if you can get away without having to play those two teams, except for once a year between the two of them, that could be a big, big deal. 
Um, I think Oklahoma has every right to feel like that they could win eventually the SEC. Now, that is because of past success, not necessarily last season's success under Venables, but the idea that that national level program, I mean, you know, they were a national program in the 80s, right? They wanted the big TV deal in the 80s because everyone wanted to watch Oklahoma football and the Bosworth stuff and all that, right? Um, the idea that Oklahoma could go to the SEC and make some noise is interesting. They will likely be in the same SEC West as in Alabama and all those. Um, so that may throw a wrinkle in some things. <laughs> um, but I, I do think that that's a program that, frankly, when they had Baker Mayfield, it went toe-to-toe with Georgia, right? Like Georgia, um, people remember that like Georgia played Alabama in the national championship game, and that game came down to the wire. But the game before that with Georgia and Oklahoma did too, right? And so that's a program that I think is able to step up the plate like that. Um, Texas adds resources. I think they could conceivably have the same kind of success in the um, – in the SEC that they've had in the Big 12 where they feel like they have the resources to win it. One or two things go wrong and they don't quite get there. Um, I say I have to say that like that if you told me they won a national title in the next 15 years in the SEC, I wouldn't be surprised, but I'd be a little surprised. <laughs> right? I don't know. Like, like things typically they've won one national title since integration with all the resources that they have. I think that's worth mentioning that something tends to go wrong for them, but it'll feel fairly similar as it felt atop the big in the top portion of the Big 12 until parts of the last decade. All right, so in the third segment, we're talking about hoops and we're running a long time, so I do want to jump in on that. First and foremost, we should point out that the hoops team did play an all-star team in Australia and won uh, 93 to 53, if I'm reading that right. Um, and for what it's worth, it was on at 4 a.m. It was a fun watch if you're up at 4 a.m. Um, Got to point out that JVR Francis did not play after the game, Kelvin Sampson said that he was injured in practice, was not serious, but precautionary. They sat him because these are exhibition games. Um, my takeaways were that Houston needs to make shots because in the second half, when they shot better percentages on the same exact kind of looks, things calmed down a lot. They really extended that lead. They had a lead in the first half because of their defense. Obviously, Kelvin Sampson staple with that defense, um, but they got great shots and just miss them. Whether you want to call that jet lag, travel trip, they're, you know, just tired legs, whatever. They just didn't make shots in the first half. Um, I loved in the second half when Damian Dunn got aggressive. I pointed out on Twitter that you heard coach Sampson yell at him to get aggressive. And they started putting his head down and driving the rack. He's a big guard. And so if he can do that more often, that'll really, really serve him and this team very, very well. He did a great job driving on the baseline. I don't know if I actually went in the middle of the floor driving to the nail, but when he gets to the baseline, can kind of use that as a, you know, keep guys off the basketball that way. I think that works very, very well for him. I also want to see him catch and shoot more. Um, I digress. The freshman that stood out to me was obviously Jojo Tugler, um, said a lot, and Jacob McFarland did play, but I Tugler stuck out as in like he didn't look different. Right? He looked like a basketball player ready to go up and down the floor. McFarlane looked timid at times, a lot looked a little short at times, very sturdy, obviously. Um, Tugler's length made difference on both end, made a difference on both ends. He looked lost as far as like right place, right time a couple couple different times, but that will come with experience. We saw that with Jarris last year, and that's not that Jojo and Jarris will be the same kind of impact. But I do think it's worth pointing out that we've seen even the most talented freshman of Jarris Walker last year be a little lost. So obviously, Tugler will be just fine in the long term. Um, my biggest takeaway from the starting lineup, first of all, with Javier injured, they started Jawan Roberts at the center spot and went four guard with Terrence Arsenal as the fourth guard slash big man. So it was Jamal Shedd, LJ Cryer, Emmanuel Sharp. TA and Jawan Roberts. Um, 
if you have Cryer and and uh, Sharp on the floor at the same time, it's really, really going to stress other teams out. And I love that they were able to do that in this game because both of those guys shoot so well from deep. And frankly, Emmanuel Sharp was pulling up from like deep, deep. And so with that said, like this all-star team could not go to a zone. And for what it's worth, there's an all-star team. I don't know how much they practice. Like they might've needed to go to a zone, but they couldn't because Cry and Sharp were on the floor. Um, that's a really, really hard to cover duo, even if they give a few inches and are short, right? Um, I loved seeing... Terrence Arsenal at the small ball four. I do think they can get away with it at stretches, but I wonder how much they can get away with it over the course of Big 12 play. I mean, like when you see Kansas and they have Hunter Dickinson and KJ Adams, that's a pretty big front court. And it'll be hard to imagine that they get a whole lot around the small. Now, if it's working to your advantage, I guess you just run with it and, and take your lumps, but I don't know how often they'll do it. I think it's more of a stretches or a spurts thing, not a permanent thing. So things to pay attention to there. I liked watching it, though, against an all-star team that didn't, frankly, look like they could hurt Houston a whole lot in that instance. Um, and then my only conclusion on Jamal Shedd is that there's clearly no one in Australia as fast as Jamal Shedd. Jamal Shedd was moving well. If you remember at the uh, Miami game to end the season last season, that end the season a little earlier than people thought it would, um, Jamal Shedd had an injured or had injured knees he played with, was not quite moving quite right. Um, he was the fastest player on the floor against this Australia All-Star team by leaps and bounds, just quickest quickness, fast twitch, whatever you want to use or call the, what he was doing, what he was using. He had a different gear and it really, really like helped calm things down because he forced the pace and tempo because of that. So more fun on the way there. I don't believe their second game is being streamed in the same fashion, but if it is obviously we'll be tweeting and uh threading and blue skying and all those kinds of things that out so make sure you follow along all social media handles at painsworth 512 p-a-i-n-s w-o-r-t-h 512 on again twitter threads blue sky all of your favorite social media handles thank you all so much for making lockdown cougs your first listen of the day for a second listen oh it's that way that that way that way i want to point out that you guys need to go listen to the new version of locked on big 12 hosted by drake toll remember drake used to do locked on baylor he has now been tasked to talk about the big 12 and he is covering it very very thoroughly uh does a great job of breaking down all the commentary alignments so make sure you go check out that show give drake a subscription and a like he's a great great host i'm sure we'll be having him on this show a lot throughout the next couple of seasons and months so make sure you go follow up with locked on big 12 thank you all so much for tuning in today locked on kooks is primary locked on podcast network that means your team every day go kooks it's hard to get the hand to sign in the background there yeah yeah go kooks <laughs>